We have two passages from the Gospel of John. They're both taken from, though we see them maybe initially as far apart, chapters 13 and chapter 17 of the book of John, actually all take place on the same night. So the setting, the context is this is the last night of Jesus' life. This is the night of what we know as the Last Supper, the night we will remember shortly when we celebrate communion together. And so Jesus is gathered with his followers. He's gathered with his disciples. And the very next day, he knows what's going to happen. He knows the significance of that following day, that on that day he's going to offer his life on a cross. And because of his death and then his resurrection three days later, the world will be a different place. But the disciples were gathered, and for them, it was just another Passover night. It was just another night. There seemed a little bit of strangeness, a little bit of tension, and they weren't sure. And there were these words that Jesus was saying, and he kept telling them over and over again about his death. He kept telling them that he was leaving, but it didn't quite sink in. And they didn't know the significance of what was going to happen the next day. And even as it was happening, even as they were gathered around and they watched their rabbi, their teacher, their friend be taken away and crucified, even as they ran away or watched, they didn't know what was taking place. And so as Jesus is having this last night with them, you might think that he would have been preparing them for that, that he would have been taking time to explain how significant the next day was going to be. That he might have been telling them, the world will be a different place because of what happens tomorrow. But it's interesting, what Jesus focuses on in this last time with them is to say, I want you to be sure you love one another. He doesn't say, I want to take you on this trip and I want to show you what it looks like from God's perspective and how this day and how this night fits into history. Instead, he says, I want you to love one another. This is the command I give you, love one another. And then as he's praying for them, his prayer is, God, I want them to be united. I want them to have this common bond. I want them to be together. And I was thinking about this passage and how it might allow us to think about preparing for an election on Tuesday. You might think, where's the connection between those two? Now, some of you have already voted. Some of you are going to vote on Tuesday. There's different ways of looking at it. And some of you may, because of your convictions, choose not to vote at all. But what I want us to think about this morning is not so much how we vote, but how Jesus' words might apply to us today. How does his followers of Jesus, these words of Jesus to his followers then, how might they apply to us in the situation we find ourselves? And before we get there, first I wanted to just think about this temptation that's often faced in elections. And I alluded to that last week a little bit, this temptation to believe and begin to place our hope in an election. Begin to think that maybe if our candidate is elected, if my party wins, then there's going to be, 
you know, a gumdrop candy mountain and chocolate rivers and unicorns and rainbows and all kinds of amazing things. Whatever it is, you think, oh, it's going to be so great because if we win, then this is going to happen. But I'm not going to say there are, there are real world consequences to elections. Things are going to be different, but we need to be absolutely careful not to put too much trust into politics and political machinations. Psalm 146.3 says, do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. But I think if we think about it, no matter who wins the election, the reality is they're not all powerful. I mean, no matter who's in the presidency, they have to work with a Congress. They have to work with the Supreme Court. They have to work with other things. So they can't just make all their policies magically happen. The other thing is, sometimes their policies are misguided. And the other thing, it may come to surprise you, sometimes politicians tell you they're going to do something. <laughs> and they don't. Because of compromises, because of powers, because they change their mind. So when the temptation to say, oh, if this person gets elected, they've told me all the things they're going to do. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't always. So we have to be careful where we put our hope. But the other thing I want to think about, and I was coming back to this, is do we know the significance of what's going to happen? Of how things are going to work? Sometimes we think, oh, and I don't know, I'm old enough to remember you know, half dozen or so elections at least, and to say, you know, every year it seems like the election is billed as what? The most important election of our lifetime. And I'll tell you what, the 2024 election will probably be the most important election of your lifetime. And so will the one in 2020. And so there's this temptation to give it this great significance. But we don't always know the significance of what's taking place when it's taking place. Let's go back again to these followers of Jesus as they're there on the last night. As they were sitting around a table with Jesus, having a meal, and Jesus was handing them some bread and some wine, do you think they had any idea of the significance of that event, that event in that moment? Do you think they were thinking, oh, 2,000 years from now, there are going to be people all over the world who are going to be remembering this meal and breaking bread and drinking wine together or drinking juice? No, they had no idea. We don't always know how significant something is. We also don't always know from a human perspective what's a failure and what's a success. Sometimes we can look back through history. Sometimes God helps us see it. But on that Friday, that next day when Jesus was crucified, how many of his followers do you think were saying to themselves, oh, what a great day. This was a big success. No, because we don't have that same perspective. And it's a human temptation to begin to see things from some perspective. So take it to an election and say, oh, look, our side won. This must be a sign of God's favor. Or the other side won. God must be really mad at us or whatever the case may be. But we cannot see things always from God's perspective. And so perhaps rather than trying to determine what a win looks like or the significance of an event, what we can know is how God wants us to behave. What we can think about is how our actions align with God's desires. We can't know about the end of election, but we can think about how our 
actions align with God's desire. So I want us to think about three things related to our witness to Jesus, this call to love one another. And I'm going to put it under this broad category of saying, your vote, whether you already cast it or on Tuesday, your vote is not the sum total of your witness. Your vote is not the sum total of your witness. So the first point is this. To say, however you cast your vote, whether you cast your vote for Trump or you cast a vote for Biden or you choose to write in a third party, your vote does not determine whether or not you are a Christian. I've seen this a lot of people like, no Christian would vote for and fill in the blank. And now this is not to say there aren't strong convictions on either side or that you might have a strong conviction within yourself to say, as a follower of Jesus, I believe I must vote for this. But I want us to think carefully about what we say if we say no Christian would vote for. Because what you're then implying is if someone casts a vote for the other person, are we willing to say they're not a Christian because of that? Because what defines someone as being a Christian? Faith in Jesus, right? So if I say, oh, well, no Christian would vote for, okay, we'll pick it up. No Christian would vote for Biden. And you vote for Biden. Am I saying, well, now that you've cast a vote for Biden, you're no longer a Christian? Or if I say, well, no Christian would vote for Trump and you cast a vote for Donald Trump, am I now going to say, well, well obviously you're not a Christian? Do you see the dangerous road we're going down there? Now, again, we may have very strong convictions and we may have beliefs that because of my faith, because of what I believe and because of who a person stands for, because of their character, because of whatever reason, that this is who I'm called to vote for. But brothers and sisters, let's be very careful about calling into question the faith of someone else because of their vote. And I also want to think, when we come out of the ballot, I mean, for me personally, you know, when I walk out, I recognize a couple things. Is, you know, I don't even get to choose which two guys I'm going to, you know, which two people are going to be on the ballot to begin with. So I'm given limited choices when I walk in there. And I want to be sure that when I walk out, you know, God's not looking and saying, oh, come on, Carl, really? <laughs> I mean... I, I believe that God understands that we're flawed. I think God understands that we are faced with complex choices. Sometimes they're simple choices. And for some of us, we may see it as a simple choice. Some of us may see it as a complex choice. But I want us to recognize that our vote is not a determination of whether or not we're Christian. That is based on, have we placed our trust in Jesus? And so, as we think through that, our vote is not the sum total of our witness. And so, it does not determine whether or not we're Christian. Second implication of our vote is not the sum total of our witness is to ask, and I'm going to assume now, now I recognize there are some people, because of their convictions, will vote a third party. Um, and chances are, given the way history in the United States, there is not going to be a third party winner. So we're going to assume, for the sake of this next point, a vote for one of the two primary candidates. 
for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. And so what I want us to think about is the sum total of our witnesses to recognize that being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, doesn't end when we drop off our ballot. It doesn't end when we put our ballot. It continues on. And so what I want us to think about is ask yourself this question. If my side wins, if the person I vote for wins, how will I hold them accountable? Because I believe this. Here's what I think I think at this moment. And this is something I learned. In, I was listening to something a couple of weeks ago thinking about, you know, sometimes we, the way we frame things can be different. And so to say sometimes as we're having a difficult conversation, to simply say something like, here's what I think I think at this moment. It's just like, okay, I'm not, so, but here's what I think I think at this moment is that neither party perfectly aligns with the values of Jesus. And so what we want to do is if my side wins, then I want to think about how do I hold them accountable? How do I push them to look more like the kingdom of Jesus? How do I push them more to look like love for neighbor? And so I'm going to offer two examples to think about what this might look like. And again, these are from my perspective as how I understand them. And, and part of it is to recognize this is that you and I may have the same biblical convictions, but that doesn't even necessarily mean we play it out the same way policy-wise. So for example, you and I may both believe that Jesus called us to love the poor. Now what political policies best reflect care for the poor, we may disagree on. But here was what I was thinking in terms of in terms of how would I hold the sides accountable. And so I'm going to give two examples. If I were casting a vote for Donald Trump and he wins in office, one of the issues I would want to press him and his administration on is refugees. And refugees is a particularly narrow, I mean, we're not talking the broad picture of immigration, but the refugees. There's an office of refugee resettlement, this large office and a law that governs it since 1980. And it's designed specifically for people who are fleeing nations and countries because of persecution. Now, the president in his office sets a cap at the number of re refugees allowed into a country in any given year. From about 1998 to 2016, that average cap was about 80 to 85,000. Under the current administration, this, in fiscal year 2020, it dropped to 15,000. Now, these are people who are fleeing refugees, and, and there is an extreme vetting process that these people go through. And so the Cato Institute, a fairly um, conservative think tank, did an analysis of refugees from 1980 to the present. And they found that in 3 million refugees settled in the United States, not a single one was involved in a terrorist act that resulted in the death of a United States citizen. Not a single one. Three million refugees. This is the kind of vetting process they go through. These are, when we say refugees, we're talking brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow Christians who are fleeing persecution in other countries, coming to the United States, and we are turning them away. And so what I might want to say to the administration if Donald Trump wins is, we need to rethink this. If we say we value people and we're looking out for them, why are we doing this? Because the statistics simply don't show a danger from refugees. 
3 million refugees and not a single terrorist death as a result? Sounds like a pretty good, pretty good track record to me. So if I were voting for Donald Trump and he wins, I might want to, as a follower of Jesus, say, okay, I want to push you on this issue because this, I think, is important because when I read my Bible, it says a whole lot about welcoming the refugees and the outsiders. All right, now let's turn it. If I vote for Joe Biden and he wins, I might want to say, President Biden, let's talk about religious freedom. Because when I look at the policies that the Democratic Party in many cases is pushing, I see a threat to religious freedom. I see the possibility of schools and nonprofits losing tax-exempt status. I see a question of whether or not are you going to limit my free speech as a pastor to be able to speak what I believe on issues that I think are critical, such as human sexuality. And so there are several bills before Congress at this moment in different shapes. And I would want to look into those and I would want to be lobbying with the Congress, my congressperson and my senators and saying, I want to guarantee religious freedom because I think that's a value, not just simply for me as a Christian, but I think because the value that God gives us is part of it is freedom. God doesn't come and impose on us his will, but instead allows us a freedom to choose. And I believe that freedom is given by God, this freedom to choose. And so as a follower of Jesus, I want to make sure that every single person in this country has a right to practice their religion freely and not be judged. And I don't want to see people going into political offices and going before some sort of religious test to determine whether or not they are fit to serve in office. So if I vote for Joe Biden and he wins, I want to hold him accountable and say, we need religious freedom. And I will fight to protect that. So you see the sum total of our witness is not our vote. It also continues on in how we live out afterwards. On how we, when our, if our side wins, how we hold them accountable. Because I'm not talking about if our side loses, how you're going to hold them accountable. Because I know you're going to do that. I mean, if your side loses, you are going to be lobbying against that other person. But I also want to say, well, if my side wins, don't just sit back and say, oh, I won. Woo, I'm good. But how am I going to hold them accountable? Third implication of our vote is not the sum total of our witnesses. Back to these words of Jesus. What do you say? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And I want to think about that. No matter the results of the election, whenever we figure out when those are, hopefully by next Sunday when we come back, we at least have an idea of what's going on, that we will still be brothers and sisters in Christ. That we will still be brothers and sisters in Christ. In a few minutes, we're going to go to a communion table and we're going to eat bread and drink together. And it's a symbol that we are bonded together by something so much more in a way that we can't answer. It's not about those things. And so we have to say, I'm going to take off my, my red jersey. I'm going to take off my blue jersey. And I'm going to recognize that the thing that holds us together is not our politics. It's not our sports teams. It's not our TV shows. It's not anything one of those. But what holds us together, the people who gathered here today and joining online, the thing that holds us together is Jesus. And Jesus said we need to love one another. 
We need to look across and say, you know, even if the person, your side loses and you look across and you say that other person, it's because of your vote. We're still called to love them. We're called to love them with the words we use. The Bible has a whole lot to say about the words we use. How do we speak about one another? How do we speak and encourage one another? So I want us to think about the words that we use. I want us to think about how we hear the concerns of others. If someone following the election is concerned about who won and is wondering what life is going to look like because they feel down and depressed, and you're, you voted for the person who won, and you're like, well, I don't, I'm excited. Take a moment and stop and sit with them and figure out why they feel the way they do. Why are they in the situation that they're in? Why are they struggling with that? What is the pain? What is the fear that is going on? And don't be quick to dismiss it. Don't be quick to write it off. But again, use those three magic words that we've talked about here again, again and again at Fruitland Covenant. And for those of you who are newer, you may not know those three magic words. The three magic words when we're listening to someone and we don't understand what they're talking about is, tell me more. Tell me more. So sit and listen to what people have to say. When someone says they're scared, they're frightened, they're worried, they're concerned about their kids, their family, their jobs, whatever it is because of the election, stop and say, tell me more about that. Because that's what love looks like. It's recognizing that while we may be rejoicing, someone else may be mourning. Have studies, have conversations, and I'm working on and I'll be posting something in a week or two. I want to, just an online Bible study for right now because we're not gathering a whole lot on how to have conversations. And we're going to do a study and I'm going to offer a study and there will be guidelines and there will be rules, but we're going to take some of these topics. We're going to think about how do we have a conversation about these things. And we're, so we're going to take some issues and try and understand where different sides fall on things like immigration and gun control and all these things and, and how we come to see it. And the idea of these studies is not to be to convince you of one side or the other but to be able to say, how do I listen to someone on the other side? And how do I at least begin to understand where someone else is coming from? And understanding where someone else is coming from doesn't necessarily mean you will be convinced by their position. You can be a good listener and sit and listen to someone. You can love your neighbor as they tell you about why they believe what they believe, and you can walk through it, and at the end of the conversation, it's okay to say, okay, I still disagree. That doesn't mean you haven't lived, but, but listen well and be able to formulate and understand where they're coming from and understand what's going on inside them. Because when Jesus said, love one another, when he said his prayer to his father is that we be united. Because what God foresaw, because we can't, for, we can't see into the future, but God is able to see things, is able to see that people from outside of the church, look inside the church and see how they behave. And so if the world around us looks in at a church after the election and we're just yelling at each other, we don't look any different than talk shows on television, then there's something wrong, isn't there? 
But what if instead, after an election, we could walk into a church and we could see red and blue, Democrats and Republicans and independents loving one another and caring for one another, serving one another and listening to one another and living in peace with one another, even though we disagree? Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. He didn't say, everyone will know you are my disciples by the vote you cast. or by what He said, you will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So can we love one another like that? I think we can. By the power of God's Spirit, Fruitland Covenant Church, let us love one another. Let's love one another into this election, through this election, and into the years to come across our differences. And that's one of the amazing things. I wouldn't want a congregation, I wouldn't want a church where we all think the same thing. We're blessed, we're enriched, we're deeper because we come from different places, we have different ideas, and we don't always agree. Well, it's not always easy. It would be nicer if we all agreed, but then we would all have churches of one. But we have a church, and we can disagree, and we can love one another, and as we do that, we understand more and more the love that Jesus has for us. We understand more and more the depth of God's love for us because it's his love flowing through us that allows us to love one another. So church, let us love one another. Today, Tuesday, and into the coming year. By God's grace, may we love one another. Amen.